today we're going to we we talked about kind of the basics of quiet time last week. Now we're going to show you how to actually do it. Um, so that's where we're headed this morning. We set some goals last week. Um, love to hear back from you on how that went. Did you? Uh, uh, and I don't know what your goals were. You were going to set them and then tell me if you made them. How did how did that go? I said I was going to do it for three times for thirty minutes, and I have zero percent. So it was a rough week, I see. <laughs> right? And I did get my 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 study Bible. Oh, so yeah. I did. Yeah. This is Let's my study Bible. Whoa. So I'm excited, and it has direction on how to like highlight and oh, do all kinds of fun stuff. But I find that I'm gonna have to like leave the house to go do anything. Oh, right. It's too so many distractions. Go You're gonna have to go to Starbucks. Or a diner, yeah. Yeah, a park, yeah. a tree. <laughs> Go to Denny's. They don't have any business. Denny's. So. Yeah. Yeah. Denny's is yeah. fun of work. And a cup of coffee. Yeah. yeah. So that's my new thing for Denny's. Now you will do that in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. I want to do it in the morning, but With it school? might have. Yeah, it might have to be afternoon, evening when they're calmed down and they're chill. Then I can leave. Yeah. So I'll figure that out. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, well, we looked at some roadblocks last week, and hopefully God doesn't feel a million miles away that you are able to concentrate and you found something to apply this week. And we, um, we started with Psalm, um, <clears throat> Psalm 1. So turn there, and we're going to look at that psalm together, Psalm 1, and we're going to take the back of this page. Do you... Remember this page? Observing the text, all right? And I want to spend a little time talking about how you observe the text and what you look for. And then we're going to do another little exercise. I'll give this out a little bit later. Now, a uh, couple other things. I said uh, if you don't have a quiet time notebook, uh, I'm going to hand these out today if you will promise to use them. You can take one only if you use it. And if you bring it back next week to show me that you use it. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. How's that for a little, you know, incentive, all right? And, um, yeah, and you'll need a Bible for this class, but we have a couple left over from last week. So you have sermon notes, a place, you know, you'll have to get some paper, you know, five-by-seven paper that goes in here uh, for your quiet time. Then maybe a section for prayer requests. Then I added two others just because... Uh, goals, you know, maybe you can, goals your spiritual goals, personal goals, whatever you want. And then because all of us get distracted, you know, your own to-do list or whatever, that was a bonus section. So yeah. you can do what you want. All right. So would you like to try that? Yes. All right. And here's one. Would you like to try that? Do you want to try that or do you have your own system? I, I have my own system. All right. So we'll save one for Debbie and we'll, we'll uh, go from there. Okay. So... Um, <clears throat> Let me just make sure I have my page here. Um, where is it? Observing the text. Okay. So when we're observing the text, um, one, that's the first. There's three aspects of, of studying the Bible: observing, interpreting, and applying. 
Now, this is a trick question. Which one is most important? Apply. Okay. Anybody else? Interpreting. Interpreting. Anybody else? Observance. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. You can't get to application if you don't have a proper interpretation. You can't get to a proper interpretation if you don't know how to observe the text, right? So if you turn to Psalm 1, we're going to use this as an example today, uh, one of our examples, and we're going to actually do a little quiet time out of Psalm 1, all right? Now, you can set up your, however you want to observe the text, but, you know, some people take a sheet of paper and just write, make three columns, you know, interpret, you know, observation, interpretation, um, an application, and I'll give you a, a sheet like that next time. But when you're observing the text, what are the things that you're actually looking for? All right? So look at Psalm 1, and remember going back to our, um, going back to, you know, this sheet here and the different steps. Let's just do this for Ina real quick. Um, go to this page right here. It's on the back side of this page. Mm -hmm. I'll cover that with you another time. Go to this page right here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is the first step of, in our quiet time method? Do what? Who can remember from last week? Back to this page. Do you have your notes from last week? Oh. Prayer. Yeah, what's the first Prayer. step? Prayer. Prayer. All right. Mm -hmm. Then what's the next step? Preview. 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 All right. Then what? Observe. Observe. Then what's the fourth step? Interpret. Interpret. She's a very quick study. Mm -hmm. What's number five? Application. Application. And then we gave some, space. let's say, space. Five kinds of application. S stands for? Sins to confess. Sins to confess. P stands for? Promise to claim. Promise to claim. A stands for? Actions to avoid. Actions to avoid. Okay. C? Commands to obey. All right. And E? Examples to follow. Examples to follow. And then what do you do after all that? Pray. Pray again. Mm -hmm. But what's the difference in that, in that prayer? You want to talk that you're praying through the application, right, to your life. And then seven is tell, tell somebody tell else. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's the process. So we're in... Um, Is there an acronym for that, a way to remember that? No. No. Unless you make up new words, you can find a thesaurus and find a word that make for Yeah. Proipt. To pro app, yep. Um, so <laughs> let's do that. Let's pray. And I'm going to just give you a time of silence to um, kind of just confess the Lord here for a few moments. Lord, we're taking a moment here just to focus our thoughts before we dive into your word together. We want to be used, we want your scripture to be used in our life today so that it brings application to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, go ahead and read the text. And um, Cheryl, can you do me a huge favor? Yeah. Go to the office and find the markers for that. The dry erase? Yes. In where the copy machine is. Uh-huh. Do you need the umbrella? 
All right. And find an eraser. Okay. Or in my office somewhere, maybe there's something. Okay. Um, all right. Go ahead and preview. Read Psalm 1. Just read it quietly and just get an overview of the text. Okay. Now, let's take a moment. Everybody got through that? Mm-hmm. And when you're, you're kind of, let's set the tone, all right? Psalms, uh, if you study the book of Psalms, there's a how many of them? 150. 150. And this is the very first one. Now, let me tell you something about <clears throat> reading a book, and it, it, it compares to flying a plane. The most important part of a plane trip is the takeoff and the landing. So... Psalm 1 and Psalm 150, pretty important. And we're going to look at the very first psalm. So, I mean, God in his sovereignty could have had a bazillion different starting psalms, but he started with Psalm 1. Now, who is the author of the psalms? David and Solomon. Yeah, David, most of them, right? Lemuel wrote some. Uh, There's varieties. We believe David wrote this one. Now, when you analyze the Psalms, and again, you're not going to know this if you don't have a study Bible or don't spend a little more time with a Bible dictionary. You can read all of this in MacArthur's study Bible or the ESV study Bible. You can find out all about the author, the date, the background, the setting, the themes. And that's why um, you have to have a study Bible if you're going to be a serious Bible study student. You can't just... now. Some people say, I don't want to be influenced by other people's commentary, and they'll just take a Bible like this, photocopy the page, and they'll mark it up, all right? And I'm going to, that's a good way to do it so you can, you know, practice Bible study methods is photocopy the page you're studying, and then you can highlight different colors, mean different things and for your own system. But we're going to say this is David. I believe he is. And if you have at the beginning, usually there's a little statement in each of the Psalms this is the righteous and the wicked contrasted. So someone wrote that in, I don't know if it wrote it in every, what did they put in yours in the Pew Bible? What did it say right before verse 1? What does that say? Yeah, the ways of the righteous and the, the wicked. wicked. Mm-hmm. Right. So usually some Bibles will have some little paragraph setting. All right. Now, we're going to make some observations, and Lord willing, Cheryl will find dry erase stuff to do this with. Um, but what are just some general observations that you see so far? And then I'm going to take you through this sheet right here to show you, when I say observations, this is what I'm talking about, oh, okay. right? So as you're looking at it, what are some of the, just the obvious things, the who, what, why, when, where things? And nothing can be too obvious. Okay, well, the who, the who is the righteous and the wicked. Yeah, so he's, is he comparing? Yeah. Contrasting? Yeah. yeah, usually if you have a comparison, you have a contrast. Mm-hmm. So it's classic, good versus evil, mm-hmm. right? Right versus wrong. And this is one of those psalms where... Um, look at you. You found it. Children's, children's area. I'm not sure if this is dry race or not. No, that's a highlighter. Okay. And there was none in the main office, huh? Okay. So... Cheryl, you get to be Vanna White. Oh, I get to. You're going to make three <laughs> columns. Three columns. Okay. Observation at the top left, in the middle, 
in the far, why don't you write observations up there. Okay. So what are some things that we think we see? What's some observations, first of all? So Rick made one, contrasting the wicked and the righteous. So that's one observation, wicked versus righteous. Okay. There's a lot of picture stories in this. Like yeah, well, it's visual. Because there's and visuals. What, what's one of the pictures? Just walking. Uh, action. There's not an action. Let's there's that. action. Action. There's action. Okay. What's one of the actions? Walking. Walking. Standing. standing sitting. sitting. So why don't we just put walk, stand, sit. We'll come back to those three words. We're going to find out if that means something. Um, okay. What else do you see? You said there was pictures. More Where's pictures. one word? What's the one word picture that they use? There's only one. The tree. The tree. And this chap. So that I see pictures of that. All right. So we have. So we have a tree, mm -hmm. and he's comparing a tree to something. Mm -hmm. All right. Planters. All right. So let's put another rotation. And one way you make an observation is ask yourself a question. What does the tree represent? So when I say who, what, when, where, why, what you're asking is ask those investigative questions of the text. So one of the questions I have is, what does the tree represent? All right, in this text. The righteous. Right? So write the question. What does the tree represents the righteous? Well, how is a tree like a righteous man? Well, it'll explain to you in a second here. The tree is like a righteous man, okay? And it goes back to Numbers, numbers 24, 6. So what's, what do you mean to read what Numbers is talking Now, how does someone numbers. know that it goes back to Numbers 24, 6? Because it says so in my Bible. Ah, what, where did you find that? Right next to the verse. So the what's that called? That is called a cross-reference. Very good. So does it, did, did I understand what you just did? No. So... Look, look in your, again, look in your Bible, mm -hmm. and in verse 4, uh, no, in verse 3, he will be like a tree, tree, and in front of a tree is a little A, a. right? And you go to verse 3, let me show you, see, this is why these Bibles, I told you, they're worthless, no offense, but they're, they're the pew Bible. You have to have a study Bible that has crop oh. So look at, Rick, come over here, and you can study with me. So see, there's three, and there's an A right before a tree. Mm -hmm. You go down here to three, and you look for an A. Psalm 92, 12 to 14, Jeremiah 17, 8, Ezekiel 19, 10. Now, I don't, you said numbers. You I, said numbers 24, 6. Let me see what words right next it next. To mine. But what, but what streams verse? Streams of water. So that's streams of water, not yeah. the tree. So the different. Tree planted by streams of water. So right? that's, that's illustrating streams. So there's one. Uh -huh. So you go to verse 3, or canals. So All that right. sixth verse says, like valleys that are spread out like gardens behind, beside a river. Mm -hmm. So it's like the water. So different, so different translations have different cross-references. Mm -hmm. So she was reading a cross-reference that tied to the word stream. These are tied to the word tree. tree. Okay. So you have to look at the number in front of each word, uh, uh, either a letter like row, A, B, C, D, E, or you look at a number. Usually a number, a number in a study Bible, 
what it's referencing is um, an alternative translation or a paraphrase. Whereas a letter almost always takes you to another passage of Scripture for you to set, compare well, or contrast. Here's a good one. Here, now, that one that you just told me. Which one? Psalm 92, 14. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is interesting. It says, they will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. That's pretty cool. Mm. So if that you looked at, so if you wanted to really study that text, you look up every cross reference. Of why they wow. put that in there. So do you see why I say doing the U version app for three minutes isn't quite cutting yeah. it as a quiet time? It's a great way to start. It's yeah. a great way to, you know, like tease yourself with like, but let's not fool ourselves. Studying God's word is a discipline. Yeah. It's not a casual endeavor. We're like, oh, I'm gonna read this today. Yeah. What's the difference between a hot dog and a steak? Yeah, I mean, you want... It's going to fill you... It's something you can eat, but a steak is like... It's going to fill you up. Yeah. So... It's kind of like... That's why I'm saying my goal is to study through the Bible, not read through the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't put a one-year limit on reading through the Bible. I'm not... Now, here's a great example of how an overview is great. And you saw that in a sermon today. One of the finest jobs of covering 30 chapters of Scripture you'll ever find from Pastor Scott mm. giving an overview of, of Job today. Um, so, all right. So let's go back to some... Let's, now, let's look at this sheet, and Rick, you can sit down for a second, because we'll look at this. So let's start with this sheet, and we'll see what are the key words. Okay. What are some key words in Psalm 1? And I didn't bring you notebook paper. I'm sorry. Um, but you, I don't know where you want to write this down, but what are some of the key words in Psalm 1? We already identified walk, stand, sit. Any other key words in there that we should know about? Um, wicked, sinners, and scoffers. Yeah, so very interesting. Three verbs, three nouns. Walk, sit, stand. He didn't use the same exact word for sinner. So my guess is that there's a difference between the word wicked, sinner, and scoffer, mm-hmm. all right? Um, you know what? You guys are going to need some paper. Do you have, do you have blank paper in, in your notebook? No paper. No paper. Do you have an extra uh, well, of any of these? We'll use these. Um, why don't you get some notepad paper? Because I should probably tell you, just bring your notepads with you yeah. each time. Because you're going to have to be able to write, all right? So repetition of words, all right? So are there any words that are repeated? Like. Like. You'll be like. He is like. Okay. They are like. Okay. So anytime you see like, you know you have a comparison. Okay. Um, so you can underline in your Bible. I would circle walk, stand, sit. Um, I mean, it's only six verses, but it's filled with a lot of interesting Mm -hmm. stuff. All right. Now, here's another thing you look for. Look at the next section. Advice, admonitions, warnings, promises. Be on the alert for for the admonitions which a writer gives, the advice, the exhortations, the warnings, the things he tells you to do. Also note the promises. 
All right. One look, one clue is to look for imperative words. What's an imperative word? That's a command. All right. By the way, when you're looking at commands or promises, almost always that's when I'm in the application section. Is it telling me to do something? Now, one little <clears throat> note about commands you might want to write here in that second section under the definition of commands and admissions. Make sure that the command is something God's commanding you to do today, not a command that was for Israel 2,000 years ago. Remember when we studied Proverbs, we were very clear about, is this a command for us or is this a command for Israel? Is this a promise for us or is this a promise just to the children of Israel? Or is this a promise for all time or for a specific time? Mm -hmm. So this is how you get into, now you move into interpretation when you're asking yourself, now is this for me? Is, it, is God intending me to take something away from that? Or is he just, just describing something that happened in history? So another thing you might want to write in that section is prescription versus description. Prescription versus description. Um, so you need to know whether it's describing an event mm -hmm. or he's prescribing, like, yeah, you should do this. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that God discusses and describes. Does that mean you should go do it? Does that mean you should go be doing it? He comes hey. bearing. <clears throat> All right. So you might want to stay away from that end of the table. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's dropping down there now. Oh, yeah. Move it over a little bit. Oh, boy. Just move the trash can over a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to. There you go. Um, all right. So I was telling everybody to pull out that sheet from last week. Do you have yours with you? Um, I might. Here, I'll give you this one. That's an extra from last week. Yeah, bring all your papers every week, okay? And bring notepad paper and whatnot. Okay, so we were in advice and admission. So we're talking about the, the prescription versus description. Okay, are there any commands or promises in this section? We're in Psalm 1, Brad, if you want to. Psalm 1. All right. So any, any commands, you said? Any commands, warnings, or promises in Psalm 1? Not every passage has all these elements. Promises? Do not. Yeah. Does not walk. Yeah. Does not walk. Yeah, but Read it. Emphasizing it. Walks not. So he's describing something. Is that a command? No. No. Remember, the difference between prescription and description. He's describing something, but that's not a command. No. Is there a promise? Is there a warning? Is there an implicit warning? Yeah, they'll be like chaff. So there's a positive warning and there's a negative warning. What's the positive? What's the positive? It's not quite a promise. What does he say in verse 3? He makes a, yeah, he does make a promise. What does he say? You're going you're gonna to prosper. And the leaf does not wither. Okay, so he says, look at the righteous guy is going to prosper. Mm -hmm. Okay, now time out. Does that mean all righteous people always prosper? No. So notice how you go from observation to interpretation. So Rick, go back up to the board and in the middle column, ask this question. Do righteous people always prosper? 
It's a question you should be asking. So what happens is you're studying along and you have some interpretive questions you have to ask yourself about the text. So you're going, oh, this makes sense. Oh, the righteous are going to prosper. That means I'm going to prosper. tell that to the Christians in Sudan. Yeah. Doesn't look like they're prospering. Now, what's the answer, by the way, to this is a, by the way, and you're going to see themes. So the question is, do righteous people always prosper? That's an interpretive question. Because it says here, in whatever he does, he's going to prosper. Okay? And he's using this tree that's got a, a water source next to it. So it might beg us to ask another question, interpretation question. Right. What's the, what question? What's the question? I would say, what was the original word up for prosper? There you go. In That's my sense, girl. Right? What? <laughs> Number two. So what does that word really mean? What does prosper language? mean? What do Americans think prosper means? Money, 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 Success. money. Money. Let's sing it. By the way, this is being recorded, so I just got oh, recorded. <laughs> all right. I'm sure I'm not singing it. <laughs> All right, what does prosper mean? By the way, he's going to put all this online, I guess, yeah. for you to listen to. Actually, we could start Dark Senate and we're kind of, if we wanted to, just to have it to listen to. Yeah, it'll, yeah. and I guess it'll be on, on online, so you won't have to do that. He's going to put all this online. All right, so we should know what prosper means, because we immediately assume that prosper means I'm going to have a job, I have a lot of money, I'm going to live in a nice home. Mm. I'll give you a little hint. Look at the text. He's using a tree as an example. What does a tree need to live to prosper? Water. 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 Roots. All right. Roots. So you might want to think more like a farmer than healthy a businessman. Foundation. So maybe prosper means you'll Dirt. be healthy spiritually. Maybe you will, you know, so we won't answer that question. So here's what's going to happen. If you want to, sometime you can say, hey, John, show me your quiet time questions, and I'll show you the commentary I'm writing. It's 50 pages now. Anytime in the, I just go to my computer, I go, I just ask the question. I don't answer it. I just ask it. So I have all these questions in every book of the Bible. Okay, why does it say that? Looks like, like uh, for instance, in Job 2. Man, Job is kind of like mean to his wife. He calls her kind of a foolish babe. You know, hey, don't be an airhead. He essentially, hey, wifey, don't be an airhead. Don't be like a dumb blonde here. You're asking a stupid question, and it doesn't sound very loving or respectful, does it? So I put that in. Hey, was he being disrespectful? Uh, that's kind of rude. Mm -hmm. I don't try to answer those questions right now. I'm just trying to identify them and see if any of them affect the way I'm going to understand the text, all right? So we do have one more promise. You have a promise of prospering, but what's the other, what's the warning in verse 4? The wicked are like not chaff. so. Yeah. What's chaff? What's chaff? So that can be an observation question or interpretation, but I'd ask, what is, what is chaff? And why is an evil, wicked man compared to chaff? Okay? For those of you who don't want to write all these down, we'll take a picture and Rick will send you this, what's on the board. All right, what's chaff? Okay? Therefore, the wicked... So look at this. said, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment? What? How? That, what? How come the wicked aren't going to stand in judgment? Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Nor, now, you go, wait, 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 wait. The wicked are going to get away with it. So do you see 
So what's another question? What's another question according to this? The wicked will not stand in judgment. What kind of judgment are we talking about? Because we're thinking, wait, the wicked are going to get away with it? How can that work? So it, so it may be, oh, because they're going to be just cowering in fear in the judgment? They won't be standing? Is that one interpretation? Or are we talking about the same judgment? What judgment are you thinking about when we're thinking about judgment? Do you see? Do you see how easily cults can take one verse and misinterpret and create a whole theology on judgment, for instance? Um, it's scary, right? So we've we got to ask yourself, what judgment is he referring to? Verse 5. What judgment is the writer referring to? Okay. So, do you see how easy it is to start in Psalm 1 in your quiet time, have a little rabbit trail, and no longer are you worrying about whether you're spending 15 minutes with Jesus because you look up, and by the time you look up these crop principles, and you've done a little thinking and questioning and praying and writing, oh, it's been an hour. Do you see why I'm saying I'm not too worried about how much time you spend? I'm teaching you a method that you won't care about the time. In fact, you'll be so hungry to be in God's Word, you don't, you're like, I gotta go to work. I gotta go prosper my family and make some money today, right? Um, it may be even one of those things like, I'm turning off the TV because I think this is more interesting than watching Westworld or whatever program you're watching these days, all right? I don't, I, I, don't have a, I don't have HBO. I have no idea what that program is. All right. Now, now, we'll go to reasons or results for doing things. Another observation. So I know we're in interpretation, but do you see how there's a play back and forth between observation and interpretation? And we haven't gotten to application. We're just we're bouncing back and forth between those two columns. All right. So... When you observe admonitions, see if the writer gives you some reasons for his advice or note if he sets forth a cause and effect relationship. If you do this, then you will, then this will happen. Often with the warning, he'll give a possible result. So he does that with the wicked, doesn't he? Yeah, he, does. he says, look it, they're going to be like this and this is what's going to happen to them. They're going to get blown away. So wherever that word was coined in popular culture, getting blown away, I say it originated in Psalm 1. That was not unique to Hollywood. The wicked, literally, your life is like being blown away. I like the picture of driving down the freeway, an accountant has all his files and note boxes of all of his clients, all of his tax returns, and all of a sudden the wind picks the lid off the first box and papers are flying everywhere on the freeway. That's what your life's going to be like. This, I mean, it's just complete disarray. So, is chaff the useless part of wheat? The chaff is the useless so part of wheat. So, in other words, wheat is our important part for our nourishment, but the chaff is the. Is so, so, you can compare a wicked guy to chaff. And useless. Also, no, no weight, right? Yeah, there's no, can, weight, there's no weight to it. There's no gravitas. Yeah, easily tossed. You can't stand, you're not firm. Yeah. So, notice on that note, the notepad there, if then relationships, circle if. And then on that, on this little sheet right here, if and then. Okay. 
because that's really important. And it's very important that when you're reading in the English text, if you get to an if-then proposition, um, in the Greek text, there are four first, second, third, fourth class. They call conditional statements. And you, you won't need to know this today, but if you want to be a student lord, you got to know which condition is it in the Greek. Is it a first class condition, a second class condition, a third class condition? Because there is a condition, for instance, like a third class conditional. If this is true, and oh, by the way, it is, then this will happen. All right? That's, well, those are the kinds of promises that Christians want to cling to, third class conditional statements. If this is true, here, I'll give you a cut. If God is for us, who can be against us? You can take that one to the bank. He's not saying, not sure if whether God is for us. I'm not exactly sure if this is true, but if it is, man, I hope it is. And so you would never pick that out just by reading the English text. So I'm not trying to get you to go to seminary or Bible school, but when people say, you know, you really don't need to go to school to be a preacher. Well, uh, there are people, certainly, who are God-gifted communicators that apparently did not go to school, and God uses them miraculous way. But most of us are human, and most of us, it took a lot of long, hard work and study, so you don't just get up and talk off the top of your head, and you embarrass yourself by mispronouncing the Greek word or not really knowing what you're talking about, right? So one of my, here's a confession, one of my greatest fears and why I did want to be a lead pastor for many, many years is I took very seriously that commandment, don't many of you become teachers because you incur a stricter judgment. And so it took me a long time before I decided I was going to open my mouth about, now, here's the twisted thinking as a 22-year-old. You're also, you're believing that, but you are the junior high pastor of that group and you are teaching junior hires God's word, isn't that even more important than yeah. teaching adults? Because the junior hires will just be like, oh, sure, pastor said, you know, like little, you know, Dalmatians. They'll, they'll follow you anywhere. They'll, you know, they'll just, where adults are like, you're full of it. Like, what are you talking about? You know, nah, I'm not so sure. You know, junior hires never wrote notes back saying, you misinterpreted that third class conditional statement there in Romans. <laughs> yeah. Plenty of adults saying, you're full of crap. What are you talking about here? You know, you're wet behind the ears. No, I never had that word used, but I did get some pretty strong mail on occasion. So uh, let's go to contrast, comparison, illustration, because that's the, this is the uh, poster child for comparison and contrast. So that's a fourth way to observe the text is looking for how the writer uses contrast, comparisons, illustration. Who's the best illustrator in the Bible? What author? What speaker? Uh, Jesus. Jesus. By the way, yeah. that's always the right answer. When in doubt, just say Jesus. You're going to be right like nine out of ten times. <laughs> like, duh. You know, that reminds me of that. What's, gray, what's a gray? What's gray has a tail and eats acorns? Little girl says. Well, I think it's a squirrel, but I'm going to go with Jesus, right? And so there is an extreme, like everything is Jesus. Um, all right, so in this text, we've already identified there's a comparison between a wicked and righteous uh, between uh, chaff and a tree that's firmly planted. By, two, by the way, two different agricultural metaphors, right? They're not the same. We're not about a tree. A tree doesn't have chaff, right? It has, it has branches. We're he goes from a tree to talking about a wheat processing deal, right? Um, 
So you can imagine if the guy was telling this story to his grandkids. Listen, kiddos, let me talk to you about how to not get into trouble. Here's what really stupid people do. This is what they do with sin. And he talks about walking, standing, and then sitting in it. He goes, but you be righteous. Delight in God's word. Let me tell it to you this way, because you can see the little grandkid going, I don't get it, Grandpa. And so the writer goes, let me tell you about a tree. Ah, you remember when we were, like, doing the wheat thing, you know, last week for the harvest? Remember all that stuff? Yeah, that stuff that blows away. It gets in our eyes, makes our nose runny, and it gets sticky. So I'm doing a technique in studying God's Word that I don't often do because I don't take the time to do it as, what if you were telling the story to your grandkids? How would you explain it? Because if you can't explain it to your grandkids, then it's pretty confusing, right? If they can get it, then maybe you can get it. Now, I wouldn't reduce every Bible text to, I'm going to tell you a story in veggie tales to you as if you were my grandchild. But a pretty good technique for me is when I'm preaching through a text, if I can't explain it pretty simply, if it's a, if it's a fog in my head, you know, it's going to be like, forget it. Now, the congregation's going, huh? What's he talking about? All right? So we got the contrast. Repetition, progression of ideas. Be on alert for repetition of words. Is there any, we said like was repeated. Any other word that's repeated multiple times in this text? Any other word than like repeated in this text? My version says ungodly multiple times, but I think that yours said wicked or something. So you have godly and wicked both repeated a number of times. All right. So... No, underline that, underline this section. Take special note of lists of items or ideas, right? So in another text, seven deadly sins are boom, 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 right? You've heard of the seven deadly sins? Well, that preaches, right? There are seven things God says are bad news, all right? Um, compare them. See if there's any significant order. Do ideas progress towards a climax? So if I want to give you a list on love, what text would I take you to? 1 Corinthians 13. What's the list? Love is patient. Love is kind. And then we forget how negative he goes. And then it tells you all the things love is not. A little interpretive thing. Why does he give us more things about what love isn't than what love is? Because he knows we're going to be because we're going to be more like which list? Bad so he's given you personal illustration for how you're not really living that way. And no way can you live like that, by the way. You need God's love to be able to let that happen. So I've probably preached that a hundred times in various weddings. And it's so interesting that God gives you a negative list about love because he's trying to let you know, like, yeah, this is going to be what you're more like that more often than not. That's right. So... Let's have no illusions that you're going to be loving and patient and kind. You're going to be envious and proud and judgmental and etc. All right. Let's go to questions. Be on the watch for the use of a question. Is it used to introduce an idea, summarize a series of ideas, or just to challenge the thinking? Is there any questions in this? Don't think there's any questions in Psalm 1. What's the most... What, what, what would be a great series... To preach on maybe qu big questions in the Bible. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, um, can you think of any other questions anywhere in the Bible? 
haven't obviously thought uh, this through. Yeah, well, the, David, when David asked, uh, why did the wicked prosper in the right? Yeah. Yeah. That's one that I have. That's a good like, question. Yeah, are the wicked going to get away with it? By the way, the the penultimate, the, the epic passage is Psalm seventy three. If you ever if you're ever struggling with, are the wicked really going to get away with this? Psalm seventy three. All right, no questions. Important connectives. Now I realize this feels a little pedantic, but I'm trying to give you actual illustrations that. All right, so important connectives, prepositions, conjunctions. Yeah, i got to teach you some English here, right? <laughs> connectives are important, yeah. revealing key ideas and relations. Be on alert for some of the following. But introduces a conditional clause. It introduces a conditional clause. For, because, therefore, introduces reason and results. In, into, with, important connectives, in order that. Let me show you something. Let's, for a moment, just keep your hand in Psalms. Turn to Ephesians for a second. If you, now I know this is an unfair question because I'm going to ask you to, you know, off the top of your head, answer something. If you had, how many chapters does Ephesians have? Six. Okay. Is Ephesians divided in any particular way? We're going to spiritual warfare. Yes. Armor of God. Armor of God and all that. So what often happens is the. The doctrinal stuff is in Ephesians 1 through 3. And the more practical stuff is found in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. All right? And the reason I say that is even in books, you'll have kind of the setup. Here's the basis for why I'm going to say it. And now this is how you're going to go live. So when you study Ephesians, you've got to know whether you're in the first half and the second half of the book. The, almost the entire second half is the stuff that you remember. Think about it. That's why. That's why children, wives, submission, respect, children, parenting, spiritual warfare, armor of God, all that's in four, five, and six. So as you're studying a passage, you want to know where it is in context of the whole book, right? Now we already said Psalm one; it's the takeoff of all the book of Psalms. This is a very important psalm. All right, uh, let's keep going. Um, grammatical construction, verbs, nouns, pronouns, adverbs, adjectives. Now, let me stop here. So I'm not insulting you. We've got to know what these things are. What's a noun? It's an object. Person, person. Person. Yep. All right. What's a verb? Action. To do. Action. It's an action word. Now, there are verbs that have ing at the end of them. What are those called? That's a participle. A participle. Singing, laughing. It's a kind of verb. All right. Does an adverb modify a noun or a verb? Not a trick question. It, 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 it's, it adds the verb. That's why some people teach Bible study as an English, um, writing English grammar. Uh -huh. Did you ever have to, what do they call it when you outline it? And, you know, this is the noun, this is the predicate, this is the subject, this is the verb, this is modifying the verb. And when you have Paul's go, you know, 12 verses in Ephesians with a one prayer that has no punctuation, it might be helpful to say, what in the world is he talking about? Because is this modifying this or modifying this? Thankfully, in this text, there is not a lot of confusion. But you know that the English text, those, those periods, those verses are added, right? This is not, the Hebrew text has just... 
Yeah. So then, have some questions about from the Hebrew. So like the, Vul the Vulgate, right, which is your Latin version, right, which that was before Tyndale, when Tyndale translated the first Gospel of John, right, into Old, old English. Well, the Vulgate was done in what year? Yeah, I don't know when Jerome did that, but it was before the King James Bible, for sure. Okay, so so I guess I'm trying to, just understanding the lineage of, of, of the meaning, like, you know, we have the Hebrew, we have the Septuagint, right? Which no, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the first five books of the Bible. Which were Hebrew? They were written in Hebrew. Okay, so then that's where, and this is just for argument's sake, when people bring this up, like, oh, interpretation of interpretation. So what is the, from taking the origins of the Hebrew language into the Greek language without losing meaning, meaning and verbs right. and pronouns and that, you know. Yeah. So, so what is the, so you're saying ESV is, is the most untampered? No, what I'm saying it's the most literal, along with the New American Standard. Okay. Literal, word for word versus thought for thought. NIV is thought for thought. So, what's the most purest form of the word? The Hebrew. The Hebrew. And the Greek. And the Greek. <laughs> the original well, language. Well, this is why <laughs> we believe going to seminary is an important aspect of your education if you say you're going to be a preacher. Now, there are plenty of pastors that only deal with the English text. And once you're done with seminary, you find ways of using those tools. And now it's so much easier. If I were in seminary today, life would have been so much better. Because we have things called Logos and other Bible study programs where I can be in a text. I just hold my cursor over the word. It gives me the strong exhaustive concordance number. It interprets it for me. It tells me it... it, it, it um, the meaning of that word. It parses the verb, you know, and that's a whole nother torture that Greek teachers put us through. Is, you know, so the bottom line is you're not smarter than the interpreters of this Bible. No. So I wouldn't worry about whether they got it right or wrong. The ESV's got it right. The NASV got it right. The King James got it right. But you'll find some yeah, nuances. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a hard time in my life. It's, it's more for when I get I get a lot of people that argue the Bible. Like, yeah. Oh, interpreters interpret like, dude, they spoke five different languages, yeah, so they didn't lose anything. Like, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just prepared to kind of. Well, the bigger issue is canonicity, yeah. not transmission, and that is how do we decide that these are what's in the Bible? For for instance, the guy who prayed, everybody's like, oh, that Catholic guy was fantastic. He quoted Solomon. No, he didn't. That was from the apocryphal books. At the inauguration, that, that first Catholic yeah. guy, he wasn't quoting the Bible. He, that was a, a, a little jab from the Catholics to the Protestants. See, we got something in our Bible you don't have in your Bible. I'm going to make it sound like it's from the Bible, but it's really not from the Protestant Bible. That's a whole nother story for another day. But I'm just saying, we think we know the Scriptures. And I hear people go, oh, that was awesome. So, so I hear a lot of preachers that use the Greek text. So the Greek is only for the New Testament, though. Yeah. Okay, got it. So the New Testament in the is Greek primarily. Old Testament is, is Hebrew and except for Daniel, right? There's portions of Daniel. Daniel that are in Aramaic.